Hello and welcome to the East to West WLS podcast, where we support the bariatric community with humor, humility, and honesty. I'm April and I'm the West. And I'm Jason and I'm the East. Today, we are beyond thrilled to welcome our newest and greatest friend, Stephanie from One Hungry Mother. Hi, Stephanie. Hello. We are so, so, so excited to talk to you today. Uh, we know that you, you are starting so many initiatives in the bariatric community, one that Jason and I have already accessed with the, with the book club and your 100 days of movement. You are also knee deep in planning a very amazing and exclusive exclusive bariatric retreat coming up here uh, in November of, of this upcoming year. And we are just so thrilled to, to find out more about these initiatives and then to really get to know you better. We're really excited to know about kind of like your why, your, your weight story, how you ended up making the decision to have weight loss surgery, and just kind of what you're doing to to prepare for for your big transition, for your, for your big new life. I know. Yes. <laughs> Oh, and I think you're actually the first person that we've talked to that has been really, truly pre-op and you've been in this pre-op stage for a while now. So I'm so curious to know just about like how this all came about and yeah, just all of the stuff that, that goes into making the decision. Cause Jason and I know what that's like being on the other side of it now, but oh my gosh, the, the before period was like the, the most hardest time of our entire, you know, kind of weight loss surgery journey. So yeah, super, super interested to dive into that. Okay, so before we totally really get started, I want to make sure that people know that if listening is not your favorite way of learning and growing, we have a YouTube channel. And if you are already watching, you can see we're absolutely adorable. So you should definitely check out our YouTube channel. We're so easy to find. Just head to YouTube, type in East, the, the number two, West underscore WLS. Our beautiful page will pop up. All of our previous podcast episodes are posted there, as well as some content that we've created for this community. So like we're recordings of our past virtual bariatric meetups and just some other great nuggets of information. So you can definitely check us out there. You can like and subscribe as well to be the first one to know when all the new content drops. And so, okay. They are in fact adorable. <laughs> we have faces for radio and TV. Who would have known? <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay. So before we really, truly like deep dive into the conversation, uh, Stephanie, would you just give us a very brief introduction uh, about you? If you want to share with us your age, where you live, uh, when you're planning on having your, your weight loss surgery and why you're so passionate about supporting this community. Hey guys, it's April. I don't know if you know this, but Gather Juice Company was our first podcast sponsor. And for good reason, they make some bomb ass juices. My absolute favorite is the Sunrise and the Pineapple Express. Night Vision and Goldilocks come in a real close third and fourth. I also very much enjoy their smoothies. Pina Colada, top of my list. If you live locally in the Tacoma area, swing by their 6th Avenue location and try it for yourself. You're going to be hooked. Big shout out to Gather Juice. Thank you for your sponsorship. Yeah, so I am 33. I live in Portland, Oregon. I have two kids, four and one, um, and a dog and two cats. <laughs> We're getting into it for real. <laughs> um, I will likely be having uh, vertical sleeve gastronomy um, mid to late March. So it was originally going to be the end of January, but COVID's thrown a wrench in everything. Um, for good reason in this case. They want to save beds uh, from elective surgeries to leverage for COVID patients, which makes sense to me. Um, so I have been in the uh, pre-op, 
process for about six months now. Um, actually, six months on Wednesday, so two days from now. Oh, um, yeah, and um, I'm passionate about this community. <laughs> it's I didn't know this community existed, right? So I started researching weight loss surgery um, earlier this summer. Uh, funny enough, I got an email marketing a new weight loss surgery clinic um, out of the hospital that's near my house. And I was like, oh, weight loss surgery, ha ha ha. I wonder if I would qualify. Put in my information was like, oh, I very much qualify for weight loss surgery. Um, which was, you know, an eye opener for me. You only see, you know, like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think that I had body dysmorphia on the positive end in that, like, I saw myself as my body was before having kids. And every time I saw a candid photo or things like that, I'm like, oh my God, that doesn't look like me. Um, but, you know, in doing more research in the weight loss surgery community, I stumbled across some uh, Instagram accounts and ultimately like created my page that way and realized that while the internet is a dumpster fire of trolls, there's this like little gem like, down at the bottom of the dumpster. Yes. <laughs> That's the weight loss surgery community. And it is honestly amazing. I've had to second guess my surgery decision based on like, okay, I really want this surgery for me, right? Not because I love this community so much, right? <laughs> like, and so that's why I'm so passionate about the community overall. Um, the answer is yes, I do want the surgery for me. <laughs> I needed to have that gut check real fast. <laughs> Scary when you love something so much that you're like, am I gonna cut out 80% of my stomach for them mm -hmm. or for me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, but that just speaks to the power of the community and it speaks oh to like God. all the good things that, that are here when you just are not expecting them. I mean, it's crazy, oh, yeah. crazy. Yeah, completely. So, so yeah, that's kind of, uh, the, the me where I live, uh, when I'm having BSG and, and why, why my passion burneth for this community. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, we are so, like I said, we're so excited to talk to you today. Uh, you know, we, we have been excited to, to partner with you and to, to be a part of the bariatric retreat. I absolutely love your bar bariatric book club. And that was actually how I found you. So I am a passionate reader. You guys can see behind me. I've got a wall, wall of books everywhere. And, um, and I was really kind of missing this like connection that just comes with reading something similar and then how having a space to, to talk about it. And I just randomly searched bariatric book club on Instagram and you popped up and I was like, Oh shit, somebody's already doing this. Excellent. <laughs> this is wonderful. And then you turned out to be like the most adorable human on the planet. So I was like, Oh, well, this is, this just could not get any better. So <laughs> it's working out well so far. <laughs> Keep flattering me. It's my love. <laughs> <laughs> we all love it. Oh, yeah. oh. Goodness gracious. Okay. Well, we know how passionate you are uh, about the community. And like I said, in this conversation, we are very excited to deep dive into all of those initiatives and then just to really share more of your story so that people who are either on the fence about having weight loss surgery or they're thinking about it, but you know, they're, they're just in the very beginning stages. I think your, your insight and your story to how you came to the decision to have weight loss surgery is going to be really a powerful testimony to people who are just curious and just wondering, right? Because we all know that weight loss surgery is not for everybody. It's a very big decision. It's, it's very much a life altering decision. Uh, but as Jason, and I always say, you know, this, the, the more that we talk, the more that we conversate, 
the, the more that we learn about our own journeys and the more that we can help other people kind of, you know, make their own decisions. We all have different recipes for life, uh, but I might have a part of my recipe that you want to try. Jason might have something from his recipe and you might offer something from theirs, right? So we're all just like out there searching for the rest, best recipe. We're going to pull all these things together and smash it, smash it together to make something that's perfect for us. So, so we definitely appreciate your, your, your candor and your, and your humor and your honesty when it comes to talking about this, because it, can be difficult sometimes as we have come to come to come to know so okay enough enough of me jibber jabbering are you guys ready to dive in yes ma'am yes ma'am let's do it all right so first things first miss stephanie will you tell us just a little bit more about yourself kind of how did you end up where you are today you know here with us this could be like your professional background your, your personal background um and really just kind of your weight story how did you you know, how did you get to the place where you knew that weight loss surgery was something that you wanted to do for yourself? Yeah, you know, I think almost all of us in this journey talk about, um, you know, how we've tried everything else. Weight loss surgery is really the last resort that we go to, in part because of the seriousness of weight loss surgery, the potential side effects, the cost, the recovery, um, all of that, um, but also the social stigma right? Like we all want to do it ourselves, quote unquote, ourselves first, as if weight loss surgery isn't doing it. Um, I think for me in this process, what's been really nice about the six month insurance requirement that I have prior is that I've done a lot of like mental self-discovery and kind of unpacking what has brought me here from a weight perspective and and why I'm, this is going to sound, uh, bombastic or or cocky, but I am very successful in like every other avenue of my life. Um, but my, uh, my weight component. And so now that I've started to like peel back what's going on there, like my mental health has started to crop up as an issue that I'm, I'm facing right now. And I talk about very openly on my, my Instagram channel. Um, but I had an incredibly tumultuous childhood. We were homeless for periods of time. We, my parents fought very violently, the situation where the cops would be called. Uh, we'd live in cars at rest stops from time to time when we needed to. And we did have food insecurities. And so, you know, when my mom would bring home a treat for us from the grocery store, it meant things were going to be okay. Um, it meant that the electricity wasn't going to get turned off. It meant that we would actually have toilet paper. It wouldn't have to use the house towels. It meant that, you know, I would have shampoo and I wouldn't get made fun of at school. So, um, food very, very much became like emotionally tied for me to, um, prosperity and things being good. And so it became the way that I, like fed myself, like fed myself worth, but also showed myself love. Um, and I've only, <laughs> I would say I've only realized that in the last six months, it's only since I, when I started this journey, I started weekly therapy. Cause I was like, there's no way that this is strictly a physical issue. It's for sure mental. Um, mm-hmm. and kind of unpacked that like, holy cow, <laughs> of course I have food issues. <laughs> um, so so that's kind of like the background. I always kind of floated around between the 200 and 230 range until I started having kids. When I had Avery, I went up to, and I'm 5'8", by the way. Um, when I had Avery, I my, my first child, I went up to like 253. And um, as with about 7% of women, after you have a baby, um, sometimes you get um, Hashimoto's or an autoimmune 
situation where you jump from um, hyperthyroidism and then back down to hypothyroidism. So right after I had my daughter, I lost all the pregnancy weight. And within five days, I was back in like skinny jeans. And I was like, what is happening? This is magic. I was Holy so excited. Shit. Yeah. And, and then I gained it all back and then some um, over the course of the next couple of months. And I stopped producing breast milk. Nobody could figure out what was going on. So that's another common side effect of thyroid issues. Like um, I went to so many appointments and nobody brought up thyroid as a potential problem for the breast milk situation. So putting that out there in case like postnatally, anybody has issues with their breast milk, check your thyroid. <laughs> um, and so I gained the weight from that. We got that under control. And then I had my son and I only gained about 10 pounds with him um, because I was like hyper diligent with my health during that pregnancy. Um, but then post, you know, uh, you know, with a young baby in the house and a toddler, I gained some more weight and got up to my high of 270. So that's kind of the trajectory of my like weight over the years. And, um, I, when I describe weight loss surgery to folks, I talk about like your set point is kind of locked and it's almost like you have a rubber band and it's like varying up and down, um, from that set point but weight loss surgery like takes off that set point for a year and you can move freely before that rubber band sticks again. Um, I need to like create some kind of visual for that. So that's kind of personally how I got up to this weight. And I've, like everybody says, have, I've tried everything. Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, South Beach, Whole30, which I, I still stand by the Whole30, but um, I've tried everything to lose weight and it it always comes back and it can't just be a resilience or determination issue because I have that in every other component of my life. It's so much more driven by my mental and emotional health and by the hormones that are surging through my body telling me to eat more food. So um, well, that's kind of where I landed on weight loss surgery. I'm like, I know that there are complications with the surgery, but I know that there are complications with continued obesity. So Bingo, right? And this is the thing that I always ask somebody, you know, they're like, well, there's, you know, well, there's a risk of death with surgery or there's this or there's that or acid reflux and blah, blah, blah. You are absolutely correct. Yes, you are. But what are your risks if you remain the same? What are your chances of develop, developing diabetes or a heart condition or heart issue or thyroid issue or circulatory issues or right like you or early death because of obesity? So and no matter- Life look like while you're sitting scared Right. Yes. I compare, and I compare it to sitting in a burning building. Right. So people talk about weight loss surgery being the easy way out. But if I'm sitting in a burning building and there's a door, I'm going to take the door, not the second yes. story window. <laughs> like yes. I might make it out the second story window alive, but I would rather just go out the door. Like, why wouldn't I go out the door? <laughs> and I'm sorry yes. if that's like, quote unquote, easier. It's just different, but I'm not going to sit in the burning building anymore. No. And especially as, and the three of us can to attest to this, we really did try everything that was out there and we did so with fidelity. I mean, we committed ourselves to these programs and the weight either didn't come off or it came off, but then it came right back. And then we ended up gaining more of it. And just like what you said, it's so frustrating when you are so successful in all these other areas of your life, but you just can't figure out the weight thing. And it comes down to exactly what you said. They're, they're really... For, for me and for, for a lot of people, when you become so attached to food in a way that is not only 
uh, about the nutrition, those pathways become superhighways in your brain and you cannot undo or demolish those superhighways without some type of extra medical help. And, and conversations that I always have for people, you know, when they want to say like, yeah, but that's the last resort. I'm like, so would you tell that to your uncle who's suffering from diabetes? Insulin is the last resort right? Or somebody who has a heart condition, statins, th that's your last resort. A stint? Are you kidding me? Why would you risk it? And you're just going, okay, wait a minute. All of these medical procedures and tools are out there for us to access, to live our best lives, to live our healthiest lives. And nobody else is, is, is made to feel shame because they're accessing these medical tools, except for people who are overweight. And it's like, I don't understand that logic at all. This is a tool that modern medicine has given us to help us live our lives at a healthy weight. It's a tool, it's not, it's not the, the golden ticket. It's something that we can use. Just as a heart patient gets a stint, if you continue to eat like garbage, you're still gonna have heart issues. And it's mm -hmm. the same thing after weight loss surgery. If you don't make all of the necessary changes along with your tool, you're never gonna find success. And that's why 50% of people regain their weight two years after surgery. It's just, it's not a great number, but it just goes to, you know, the, the veracity uh, of these food issues and, and how uh, just, you know, nobody can really understand weight. It's, there's so many things out there. There's so many things that contribute to it, but we know of these, these medical, you know, these medical tools that we can utilize to, to live our lives at a healthy weight. So- well, And something that Stephanie said is extremely powerful is she- was able to attach the issue she was having to her mental, the mental health side of things, mm -hmm. but she didn't figure it out until, you know, she started this, this journey six months ago. And that's happened for a lot of people. A lot of people don't even connect the dots on that and don't think that, well, I had an okay childhood, so it shouldn't really be a problem. Or I had an okay this, or I never really look at food like safety net or safety blanket or whatever, mm -hmm. until you really start unpacking some of that stuff and you realize that some of that stuff gets tied in without you even knowing that there's a connection with it. But the fact that you now know that and can start doing the work ahead of time before surgery is really the most important thing because so many people think of this as just a physical journey of just, oh, I'm just going to eat less and I'm just going to get skinny and there's not going to be any issues. They don't realize that it's a mental battle every single day and I would say it's 90% mental so like right. even when you get the surgery a lot of what the surgery is doing is just removing some of the hunger hormone that you have in your body and that hunger reaction is a mental reaction that you are having so that falls into the mental category and so it's really about how are you reacting to those triggers right and you know uh, through book club, I've learned a lot. And one of the things that we learned in a couple months ago in my hungry head was, you know, to clearly differentiate between appetite and hunger is I, you know, could really murder some cheese and crackers right now, or, um, I'm hungry for anything. I would eat an apple right now. And so if you're truly hungry, you'll eat whatever is going to fuel your body. If mm -hmm. you are having an appetite or a, you know, a mental situation that is driving your hunger, it's going to be specific. So yeah. um, I thought that was, that was really interesting. And 
April, you mentioned the neuro pathways, like uh, for people that don't have these like hunger triggers or appetite triggers related to food, whenever they feel stress or things like that, it's very similar to if you get in the car on a Saturday morning and find yourself suddenly at work instead of at the grocery store, like those neuro pathways are so ingrained yes. that you're active. Your brain is active. You didn't get in a car accident though. Sometimes you wonder how, um, but you, you know, you were on autopilot and it is the exact same. Your brain cannot make every single decision that you have throughout the day. It can't, there are too many. Some of them have to be automatic. And so the, the, the journey of like pulling ourselves out of the automatic or switching what those routines are on the food side is where the real work is. And the surgery just helps prompt us into that direction. And then it's up to us to do the rest. Yes. Well, and a lot of people don't realize the difference between cravings and real hunger because you can be as hungry as you've ever been in your life. And yeah, it kind of sucks. Like you're like, man, I really need to eat something. Let me go ahead and try that. But a craving that you're just sitting there like, and it, that shit buries in your head and it doesn't go anywhere. Like it's just, <laughs> it, it just digs at you and digs at you until you finally get up and go for whatever it is. If you don't make the conscious decision, like you said, to either, you know, eat whatever there is available, make a healthier option, drink some water. Like there's plenty of options to do it, but the mental aspect of a craving versus the mental aspect of just being hungry mm -hmm. are night and day difference. Those are opposite oh, totally. ends of the spectrum that a lot of people just don't understand because they can just be like, well, yeah, I kind of crave crackers or I kind of crave a candy bar but it's different for somebody that's faced the, the type of, you know, mental food addiction and mental food block that we have. Whereas it's, you know, it, it's almost like, uh, you know, an addict that's really craving heroin, like you're going to yeah. do what it takes to get the heroin. Versus, oh, yeah. I would have you know, never described myself as a food addict before I started this process because society only shows the extremes, right? When you're looking at right. movies or shows, like if you see a food addict or somebody who's getting weight loss surgery, it's always somebody who's 600 pounds or like sneaking food in the closet after bedtime, or, you know, it's not the person that gets up four times during a show at night to get a snack, which mm -hmm. that's, that's my MO. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so like, I think that's the biggest thing. I lived in, in Ghana and West Africa for a few months in college, whenever I was doing an internship and the, my food options were really limited because it was like, you had the food cart, the, you know, the local food carts where you'd get rice and red red at lunch, or, um, you know, there was this specific place where you'd get a boiled egg in the morning for breakfast. And then we'd all go to this neighbor's house to get a pre-made dinner at night. And like, that's what I had for the day. That was the, probably the first time in my life outside of like food scarcity as a child, where my food was just like, it was pretty much set for me based on my environment. Um, and I lost like 30, that's the lightest I've ever been in my adult life. When I came back from Ghana, I was like, holy cow, <laughs> this is amazing. Obviously I gained it all right back because my environment was, you know, different whenever I came back, but yeah. it's kind of how I see the potential of the weight loss surgery journey is like figuring mm -hmm. out how to like build in that consistency of a pre-selected, um, like food options yeah. and then you know, rerouting those neuro pathways in time <laughs> to like set it in stone before, you know, before that golden year is up. 
<laughs> yep. Well, and as we often talk about, and, and as I love to, to share with people, what really clicked for me after surgery was that I realized that 90% of my day before surgery was dedicated to food. I was thinking about food. I was prepping food. I was, you know, planning it. Something, uh, you know, 90% of my day was all about food. And until you are given that mental break, which surgery gives you, I don't know how it happens, but it's just like that is severed. And all of a sudden you've got 90% of your brain now to think about something not related to food. And finally, after surgery, was I really able to sit back and go, oh my God, this is what people who don't have a dependence or addiction or tolerance to food feel like. This is why they're able to live their lives at a healthy weight because food just doesn't become the most important element of your day. And for whatever reason, right, I got there before surgery and now I, I, I was given that, I was given that, that grace, you know, after surgery. And it, it's just, it's something that you can't describe and it's something that you don't know will actually happen for you until you've had the surgery and, and experienced that. And it's really hard to make this big, huge decision on the faith and testimony of other people. Yeah. Because, you know, it's just like, uh, I've tried everything else before. I just can't imagine food not being such a huge part of my life. Because, you know, as you get closer to surgery, you just realize, holy shit, food is like the most important thing in my life. I mean, or the second yeah. most important thing in my life. And that's really hard to admit. It's hard to do. Oh, yeah. yeah. One, of the, one of the craziest things that I ever heard people say before I had surgery um, was... <laughs> Would you be out with a group of friends or whatever? You hear people talking, they'd be like, you know, you guys hungry? I mean, I could eat. And I'd be like, what the hell is that? You could eat. <laughs> like, what? I'm over here starving because I haven't had yeah. third dinner or whatever it is because I'm ready for a, <laughs> another triple cheeseburger, another half a pizza or whatever it is. Because I'm like, you could eat. I'm like, that doesn't make any damn sense. Or the couples are like, oh, we can split an appetizer. And I'm like, who, what? That's not even enough for one. Like, I can have three advertisers and it's not enough for me. How can you split one? But now that, you know, post-op, I'm nine months and I'm like, I completely get it because there's, I'm an appetizer and a to-go box guy or I'm a, you know, I, I don't need to eat right now. Well, uh, you, you just know, don't have that. Have... The desire's gone. There's no more pull to, to overeat, right? And there's just no pull to, to just food in general, right? Somebody offers you something and for the first time in my life, I can say, no, I'm good. And I have no like anxiety, hesitation, nothing. It's like, I am not hungry. I have no desire to eat that. And it's just, it's yeah, bizarre. I got a little, a little taste of what I think that'll be like while I was on Phentermine. So in the first mm. few months of my pre-op process, I was prescribed Phentermine, which I don't necessarily recommend for people. It made me legitimately crazy. Mm. Um, so, uh, but like my appetite was gone. When I was yeah. hungry, it was to fuel my body. It was to make the like hunger pangs stop. Mm -hmm. um, and, but like for the most part, and obviously that effect fades month over month. Like it's most potent that first month. But um, in the beginning I was like, holy cow, is this what normal people feel like? And I'm like, yes, it no is. wonder I am bigger than everybody else. You jerks. Like <laughs> you bought this like golden ticket. And I'm sitting over here, like trying to trudge away through the mud. Like yes. I was, there was like a part of me that was like, you privileged mother truckers. Yes. <laughs> you start to think about it. You're like, was I absent the day they were handing that out? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now that being said, I, 
I was going to say, I want to provide the disclaimer that I do not re recommend phentermine. <laughs> <laughs> right. So like, I'm, not, I'm not an advocate. I, I yes. Because I'm, I'm the guy that used to pre-eat before we would go out with people because you never knew when the <laughs> hell they were going to stop for food. Because we have, we've got a group of friends that are notorious for just going and doing whatever. And eventually, if we wind up somewhere that has food, you can grab some real quick. But like structured dinners, not really a thing. So I used to pre-eat just because I never knew what the hell the night would bring. So I, yeah, every chance I got, I'd grab something. Well, and so April, I don't know if you night. can, <laughs> I don't know if you can um, relate to this, but I would pre-eat because I didn't want to like, I didn't want people to see how much I was actually eating when I was out at dinner. I wanted to be mostly full. If, so if we were going out to dinner, I'd have a snack before I went so that like, it, it didn't, people couldn't see just how much I was putting in my body because I was so ashamed, which in this mental health journey, it's been so interesting because it's like the more shame you have for anything that you're doing, the more you hurt yourself anyway, right? So like, if you just like love who you are and understand that those external factors don't actually affect your self-worth or your lovability, then you're just going to like live for you and for whatever is like best for you and the people that you love. Mm -hmm. um, and then you're going to make better decisions out of that because you want to serve yourself. Right. So yes, I don't know. Yep. I've been reading this book, Lovability by uh, Robert Holden. And I, I actually hate it. Like I hate it so much. Um, it's so foofy. It is so very much like love is everything you can't define love sorry Robert Holden if you happen to listen to this podcast but your book sucks <laughs> but there are some good nuggets out of it that I have to admit I'm getting my therapist prescribed it to me and I'm reading it mm. but um if you are religious you would like this book more I am an atheist and so I have a really hard time with the like God references in mm. in tying into my lovability so um yes. but otherwise a few good things and one of those things is that your external factors do not determine your lovability or your self-worth I'm like on that, that one preach okay <laughs> and, and that and that is a really hard place to get to because we have not loved ourselves probably ever or for a very long time or we've we've thought for a very long time we're not worthy the shame that comes around what we struggle with is so public like everybody knows you have a problem with, with food because you weigh an excessive amount whereas other people can hide their you know their addictions or, or their dependencies we we can't and it's just so uh, yeah, it, it, it's a battle unlike any other. Uh, well, think about one of the worst like middle school insults was, oh, you must mm -hmm. really love yourself. Like, mm -hmm. how dare you love this? How right? dare you love what's going on here? So yeah. we're taught from such a young age that like it's shameful to love yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, I even said earlier in this call, I caught myself when I was talking about being successful in other areas of my life, like, oh, this might sound like bombastic or cocky. Yeah who cares just if you know you're good at something just say you're yes. good at something <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah. just love yourself <laughs> yes and it's so it's so hard to do because uh, it, as you perfectly stated it's just not something that we're taught it's not something that that's approved of it's not societal norms you're supposed to you know be be yeah just quiet in a corner uh, and, and trudging along and that, that's how we get ourselves into, into not great situations with, with lots of things. And for the three of us, it happens to be food. Uh, you know, and the, the, the one other thing that I really wanna to touch on, which is why I so appreciate having these conversations. 
I, the, the, the two of you guys know enough about my history to know I had a really charmed childhood, right? I had a couple moments of like, eh, but uh, Stephanie, your, right, your experience was very traumatic. Jason, your experience was, was different than mine. But it's important to know, we don't have to have big, huge trauma to, to find ourselves in a battle with food. We can have big trauma and find ourselves in a battle with food. It doesn't matter what the trauma is. What matters is that it impacted us in a way that was not healthy or kind. For, for whatever happened in our lives, we experienced a momentary uh, second of, oh my God, I'm going to die. And that's what kicked this off, right? And it could have gone to drugs, it could have gone to alcohol, it could have gone to shopping, gambling, right? Whatever, you fill in the vices. But for whatever reason, we went to food. So don't, don't, don't put yourself in a category of, well, I didn't experience you know, the, this big, huge trauma, so therefore that can't be what it is. That's yeah. not the case. It's just not the case. We all have a different story of how we got here. But the, the, the theme that's consistent with all of us is that we experienced something that was very unpleasant. And we really thought that we were going to die in that moment. And our brains and our bodies did what they are programmed to do, which is help us survive get us to the point where we don't feel like we are in imminent danger. And like, we have to pat ourselves on the back and the shoulders. Our brains and our bodies did exactly what they were supposed to do. Bravo, we're still alive. Amazing work. But now we have to deal with um, the consequences of, of how we chose to get out of those very difficult situations. And it's only by hearing the stories of others that we can say, oh, that, uh, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. And I'm glad to know that I'm not alone because we are absolutely not alone. Yeah, I think, yeah, nobody's giving away trophies for whoever went the hardest path in their youth yeah. <laughs> on your deathbed, right? So it's like, no. and I think that that applies to the the weight loss surgery path as well. Is like mm -hmm. there is no trophy for quote unquote doing it on your own or doing mm -hmm. it without weight loss surgery. So as long as you know in your heart of hearts that like you know, external factors, other people's societal stigmas against a surgery that you've decided to have has no impact on your health, on your okay. worth, on your ability to run up a set of stairs chasing after your kids, or in yeah. my case, after your one-year-old who's holding a knife um, <laughs> this morning, got it out of the dishwasher, little turd. Um, none of that has an impact on your self-worth. <laughs> My child holding a knife might have an impact on my parenting, <laughs> but <laughs> don't judge me here. I've seen how quick those little suckers move. Oh, hell no. He's so fast. Yeah. And if you chase him, he runs faster. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I digress. But the, oh, I lost the other point that I was going to say, but yeah, no trophies on your deathbed. And, yeah. um, oh, you can find gratitude if you look for it in almost anything. Right. So yeah. I have like a serious anxiety issue that I'm kind of trying to work through right now. And, but I'm, I'm also great, a little bit grateful to my anxiety issue because it is an early warning system that not everybody has that says like, you are not serving yourself in some way, in some aspect in your life, you are not serving yourself and something needs to be fixed. Um, and I think the same goes for our weight gain. For those of us that have experienced something in the past and, you know, our bodies, our mind's reaction was to turn to food. Like there's some gratitude to be had there because we're nobody that has always been skinny is ever going to appreciate their body in the way that somebody who's gone through weight loss surgery is right. Like you've worked so hard for your body. You've gone mm -hmm. through like mental and surgical changes in order to get here. And there's 
there is a nugget of privilege in there that we have that juxtaposition of what it is like on both sides to mm-hmm. really set in stone, like gratitude for our bodies and self-love. So oh, thanks, uh, I thanks can, God. <laughs> oh, I could not agree with you more. I mean, I, I'm sometimes I get upset that I've had to go through this, but at the same time, I'm so thankful that I have such a better understanding of just humans in general or people who are suffering, right? It's all of a sudden, it's like, I've got this empathy lens now that it's like, oh, even though we're not suffering through the same thing, you know, I I get it. And it just has made it so much easier for me to just really stop judging people, right? I just didn't know how much energy I was using on that. And now that I've on the the other side of that, it's like- The more you're judging other people and vice versa. The more, it's like a good lens. Like the more you find yourself throwing judgment at other people, you know that it's it's because you're, you're in a rough spot. Yep. Absolutely. So we've been asking this question to all of our most recent guests, and I'm curious to, to, to hear your response. So do you believe with 100% certainty that weight loss surgery will be the thing that will help you live the rest of your life at a healthy weight? No. Um, I think there are too many variables to say anything with hundred percent certainty, right? So, um, thyroid issues could creep back up. Um, I never expected to have a like panic episode that would force me into a (laughs) medical leave. So I'm on a medical leave of absence right now for having panic attacks. I would have, if you had asked me even two months ago, if that was like a real thing that would ever happen in my life, I would have told you absolutely not. So Mm -hmm. I think it's impossible to say anything with hundred percent certainty, though I feel very strongly that it is the thing that'll help me live at a healthy weight um, or get to a healthy weight in the next um, year or two. Um, I think ultimately it's up to me to stay at that healthy weight for the rest of my life though. Yeah, perfect. Okay. And I think, I love you, I think by talking to you, listening to the things that you say and know all the pre-work that you've put into it over this last six months and even a little bit before the six months started, um, I, I truly believe that you'll be able to push yourself to that and, and hold yourself accountable for that because you've, you've done so much and you've seen so many areas and explored places that most people that have had the surgery haven't had the opportunity to do before they've had the operation. So those are things that are going to just magnify your success post-op. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm hoping that I'm checking all of those boxes and, you know, I, I was a little bit on the fence in the beginning. There are moments that I've talked about on my social media channels where, Mm -hmm. you know, my endocrinologist was like, you do not need weight loss surgery. You are not big enough for weight loss surgery. That is a last resort. And I was like, well, what do you think I'm doing here? (laughs) She was like, we can, we can put you on Fendermine for the rest of your life and Topamax. Like there are pill solutions that we can do or medical medication solutions. It was the weirdest conversation ever. Um, and those are those ones you think that they're getting kickbacks from the, the drug companies to be able to prescribe all that for you. Like they get some kind of bonus. That's what that, it's what it feels like yeah. because I've had doctors do that same thing to me. And I finally looked at him straight and was like, I'm not, I'm not going to refill a prescription. I'm not taking any of this. And they go, well, I mean, okay, we don't have to do it that way. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. That's how you go. <laughs> I, I'll stick them. I'll stick them straight because I've fired three or four doctors in the past that have done that to me. And they're just like, well, I mean, so you're just not going to come back? And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm going to go to somebody that's a little more solution driven, that's less pill driven. 
Yeah. And I think in her case, you know, this doctor is a buck, <laughs> a buck 10, right? Like she's about 110 pounds. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, she's never deal dealt with this before in her life. Um, and for her, she just had a stigma and, you know, that those exist in the medical community as well. That's not exclusive mm -hmm. to those of us outside of it. Um, and for her, she's, you know, she was very much like, you don't get weight loss surgery unless you are like 600 pounds and 50 years old. And, you know, like you are diabetic and, and all of that. And I'm like, well, I'm on track. <laughs> like I am on track for all of that. So why not nip yeah. it right in the bud? <laughs> so. I mean, hell, at 468 pounds, I wasn't diabetic either, but I was close. Like I, yeah. I, I no, was, I'm pre-diabetic right now. I'm pre-diabetic. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was tickling, I was tickling pre-diabetic pretty hard. So I mean, for them to be like, well, that's not one of your thinking. Like you used to watch, you know, my 600 pound life to make myself feel better and go, well, at least I'm not that guy. A hundred percent. You put pen, you put pen to paper and go, oh well, in another hundred and twenty, you know, twenty-eight pounds, I will be. You're like, oh well, shit. Um, I guess I probably better do something because mine came when a cardiologist that I barely knew was like, thought about weight loss surgery, and I want to look at him and be like, no, dick, I haven't. But you know, thanks for bringing it up. Like, well, how are you just gonna throw it? Like, you don't even know me, dude. Like, how do you yeah. start off the conversation like how that? How dare like, you hey, say something up? so offensive? Right, right. Like I didn't, like I didn't know I was the biggest dude in the building at the time. I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, why would you come at me like that? Like, can't even get a high. Like, what's up? Tons of fun. How you doing? Have you thought about getting your stomach cut out? I'm like, oh, I haven't. <laughs> But it just speaks to it just speaks to people who who have never struggled with their weight, people who who don't know what it's like to be controlled by food, right? To only have ten percent of your brain dedicated to the rest of your life and not food, would think that weight loss surgery is the the last resort, right? They they would not know that that is actually what is precisely needed to help you get get to a healthy weight. Um, and, and I it's just a... went to my obesity nurse and, um, in one of my checkups, I think I was two or three months in and I'd lost 18 pounds pre-op thanks to Fentermine. I mean, it's not just Fentermine. I was working hard too, but, um, and went in and was like, you know, I've already lost 18 pounds. Should I like try to do this on my own? Like, you know, am I crazy to be doing weight loss surgery? And she was really honest with me. She was like, you know, I think that with your education and, you know, where you are now and your success so far, it is possible for you to lose the weight without weight loss surgery. She was like, but keeping the weight off is going to be very, very hard. About 1% of, uh, of people who lose over hundred pounds can actually keep it off for more than two years. Mm -hmm. Um, and she was like, so you can go that route. Obviously there's nothing saying you have to do it right now. You're 33 years old. You can spend another couple of years trying to get there yourself. Um, and she was like, we're not going to pressure you into it. You know, it's completely up to you. Um, and I, you know, I, th I thought long and hard about it because there's, there's that pride element of like, I want the glory of the, like that 1%, right? Like I want mm -hmm. to be that success story that did it on their own, but that's my ego. That's not like my core self. That's not my unconditioned self. And oh my God, now I sound like Robert Holden um, from that damn book, but um, <laughs> get out of my brain. Um, but and like, what is going to truly make me happy is serving that like unconditioned self, not serving the ego. So yes. that's kind of like how I was able to come back 
um, to like what is right for me at the end of the day. Well, I've heard so many people say that, like those, uh, some of the two week and longer liquid diets that you have pre-op, like mine was two weeks, but I know some people that have gone longer than two weeks pre-op, like I lost 45 pounds pre-op on the liquid diet. And I, you know, there's the, the thought that creeps in like, oh, well, maybe I could do this if I just do this and, you know, just adjust some of the things that I'm doing. Or the worst part is like, I've thought so many times, like, well, if I do it, like, I even told myself it was the easy way out. Cause I would tell people like, well, even if I lose all that weight, there's still going to be so many people that just say I didn't do it right. Or I took the easy way out. Or I, how can I really be proud of all the weight that I lose knowing that I went this mm-hmm. route? And I had to finally tell myself that, you know, I, I don't know any other way that's going to happen because, you know, even with the most successful with Herbalife that I was before I had the surgery, I lost 83 pounds in seven months. Mm-hmm. And I gained back 110 pounds after I like, so not only the 80, but plus some, just simply because like you said, I mean, just keeping it off, like losing it. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm a guy weight falls off of me. If I, you know, all I have to do is not look at the kitchen and I lose, <laughs> you know, five pounds, but keeping it off is, is impossible for it was for me. So that this was yeah. the only option. So I don't well, understand. So I had to let go yeah. of that myself to be able to make the decision to have. Not to mention that's where the why is so important is if you're being honest with yourself, if your why is for that pride of losing the weight, then of course, weight loss surgery is not the way to go. Society is not going to respect like, you know, that pride component. But if your why has more to do with your health and your endurance and staying alive for your kids and being able to participate in stuff, then like, it's a very easy decision. So I work in, in marketing and I joke that like, I sometimes suspect that I'm a little bit on the spectrum because I like care like I, I forget to care about other people's emotions when I'm making decisions regarding business. Um, and it's just very like, okay, problem solution. Like, I don't understand why this needs to be a curved line. It's a straight line. Um, and that's kind of how I feel. If you look at it blindly with the, the weight loss, not blindly, but, um, objectively with the weight loss surgery decision is you have a problem and you have a solution. It's when you add in your pride or your ego that it suddenly gets muddled. Um, so like, if you clearly look at like what your options are, I I went through this with, um, story of B actually, like, thankfully talked me off the ledge after that endocrinologist conversation. And she was like, the way I see it, you've got four options. You can stay the size you're at, but you know, what's going to happen from that. Or you can try to do it on your own, quote unquote, with diet and exercise, but you, you know, the outcome of that, or you can stay on Phentermine or Topamax for the rest of your life. But you know, that that's not actually an option and you know what will happen. Um, Mm -hmm. or you can get weight loss surgery. Um, and you know, what will happen out of that? And she was like, based on like the problems and the expected outcomes, look at it scientifically, like what is the route you want to go? And I was like, thank you. (laughs) It really only leads back to one, you know, one valuable option, that that viable option that you're able to take. Once you, once you break it down like that, my wife is the same way as you. She thinks, she thinks in the same, same way. And it kind of, it kind of clouds her in her, in her professional world as well. Cause she has to step back and people come to her and be like, well, you kind of upset some of these people. And she's yeah, like, are you mad at me? Like, like, no. Yeah, she's like, what's the problem? Like we did this, we did this, we got to where we were going. So I don't see the issue. Yeah. So she's like, sometimes yeah. I got to think about coddling people a little better. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it's well, a struggle, especially as a woman, you're expected to be more maternal than that. <laughs> and I'm just very like, no, my face no. isn't angry. My face is just resting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't smile all the time. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, well, that was actually, that was the next question I wanted to ask you. What, what are some of your whys for, for having weight loss surgery? Yeah. I mean, I think they're, everybody talks about their kids as being their why. And I think like, that's an obvious one. Like I want to be around for a long time for them. Um, but more than just like the length of time that I'm with them, I want to have the energy to actually enjoy their childhood and to participate. My husband is a saint. He really is. He's such a good dad. He will sit on the floor and play with them for hours and like, is totally like unfazed by it. If I do that for 30 minutes, I'm like, Oh my God, I am so tired all of a sudden. What just happened? Mm. Um, and so like, I want to, I want to want to do those kid things. And when you're so tired, it's harder to want to do things that exert more energy. Um, and so that's probably my biggest why I also, I feel like the more weight I gain, the more my identity is falling apart a little bit. Like I'm an avid hiker. I used to snowboard. I, you know, I love outdoor adventure stuff. I live in Oregon. Um, and my knees and ankles and hips hurt constantly right now. And, you know, I still would describe myself as somebody who hikes or a hiker, but mm -hmm. I am like, Oh wait, I haven't actually done that in, you know, X amount of time. I don't want to actually think about how long it's been because it's yeah. too painful. Um, I think last yeah. summer, not pandemic summer, but the summer prior was the first time, uh, we tried to do dog mountain here in Oregon, which is a, a very hard switchback hike. And that was the first time I couldn't make it up to the end of a hike. Um, and it was very, very demoralizing. Like I cried on the way down. <laughs> well, yeah. um, I just couldn't do it. My knees hurt so bad that it was like, this is not enjoyable anymore. Um, and so I, I just, I want to enjoy my life and I don't see why not, you know? Well, and I think we, we all get to the point where, you know, our true identity, we, we can't actually live our true identity anymore because the weight now is actually getting in the way. And yeah. that just, that just makes the situation even, even more difficult to kind of overcome. And I think come to the conclusion to have weight loss surgery, because you know that your, your life and your identity are not congruent anymore, but you're like you said, right. Your, your ego and, and this whole, like, you know, shame thing just gets in the way and you just say, well, no, 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 I can, I can just do this on my own. But the longer that you let that go, the, the greater this like gap of despair becomes in our lives. And we just see our old selves getting further and further away. And we just don't quite know how to, how to get it back until you just, either you have a conversation, you have a realization, something clicks in your brain where you go, oh, wait a minute, maybe I can use this tool to help me get back to my true self, my true identity. Uh, but it's a, it, it's a big leap uh, of faith. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, um, I did this exercise with myself a couple of months ago of like, what are all of the things that I think I may have missed out on because of my weight over the last year? And you know, you, you kind of become numb to a lot of it, right? So like um, my workplace participates in the hood to coast relay. I'm like, I'm not gonna 
freaking do that? Like, I, how would I like get my body from Mount Hood all the way to the coast here in Oregon? Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, there's things like indoor skydiving that I'm like, oh no, that's not actually an option for me. I weigh too much. Um, or like wanting to go horseback riding with my daughter. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like two, 250 limit on the, on these horses. I guess I'm not doing that. Um, and like they're, they're these little moments in time, but they, they add up to your life. They add up to like what your life looks like. Um, and so, you know, I think that like made the decision, like a total no brainer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Of course I'm going to do this if it's going to give me. And also I've never been at a healthy weight in my adult life. And so I have no idea what that's going to look or feel like. Yeah. I'm, it'll be a whole new world. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, and the, the thing about you actually thinking and being able to put pen to paper and list out the things that you've missed out on or things that you ha- haven't been able to do is is also a step ahead of some of us because for me, like I, I've mentioned on previous episodes, like I had no idea until I started gaining my mobility back again, mm-hmm. all the stuff that I just couldn't do. Like I knew some of the stuff, of course, like what you were saying, I always wanted to do indoor skydiving, couldn't do it, wanted to, used to own horses. And now I'm just like, yeah, unless it's a Clydesdale, my, and nothing carrying my ass around. So, <laughs> you know, and, and you get to thinking about it and I couldn't put pen to paper on the stuff that I've missed out on. Like you have with the exception of a, a handful of things. But once I lost a, you know, a significant amount of weight and was able to just start kind of moving around, a lot of it would be like, I would second nature move. And then I would think about it and go, well, shit, I couldn't have done that even two months ago, you know, three <laughs> weeks ago. Yeah. Like, I went to my three month post-op checkup for my sleeve surgery. And, and, a, and a woman that was beside me that had surgery about the same time I did dropped her pen. And I dove out of the chair, grabbed it, picked it up and handed it to her and sat back and was like, <laughs> you would have thought that I was, was Superman and brightly young fella. From a burning building. Like I was, I was hype. I was like, Damn. <laughs> I was like, huh? do you guys see that? Like I had done something special. They were just like, grab the pen, dude. Like, what's the problem? And I'm like, yeah, but you don't understand. Like my ass would have just mm. fell smooth out of the chair on my head. If I would have done that, you know, three months ago. So it was, it's just those types of things that you have. Like yesterday I cleaned out the garage and got 90% of the garage clean before I even started to kind of wear down. And today I woke up and you can't tell I did anything. You would have thought I laid in bed all day because I feel just perfectly normal. Like there, I'm not sore. I'm not any of that. There's no lasting effect, which would have not been the case had I tried to do that before surgery. Well, and I'll say even on the pre-op side, I think the process of weight loss surgery, as obnoxious as insurance companies are, um, like having to get a sleep study, for example, I didn't know I had sleep apnea. It would have never occurred to me to go get a sleep study. Um, and obviously <laughs> I say obviously, but anybody who followed me during that process knows the CPAP did not work out for me. It got thrown mm-hmm. across the room a few times and then ultimately oh. like returned. Um, really? I could not sleep with something on my face, but I just got my oral appliance in finally. And I'm like, whole, I'm waking up on my own at 6.30 in the morning. I cannot remember a time that that has ever happened in my life. And I'm like, holy cow, like what a privilege to be pushed, like forced into these checkups to check my blood levels, to check my sleeping, to, you know, to check up on all of these things that we normally don't take care of ourselves in. Like we're, this weight loss surgery process, like actually forces us to care for ourselves in some cases for the first time in your life. 
where yeah. you've just been caring for others the whole time. So that part has been, has been honestly amazing. And I'm really yes. grateful for. What, what have been some of your, your, your other big, like aha moments that you've been, as you have been going through this approval process or, you know, have there been any like physical, like, oh my gosh, or, you know, mental uh, epiphanies that, that you've experienced? Yeah, I think um, as I'm going through the mental process of like, you know, what my connections to food are and things like that, I've, I've remembered some instances, you know, I remember being like 11 years old on the bus and wearing like a blue jacket and somebody being like, oh my God, you're a whale, you know, or things like that, that like really just like killed me. And, and looking back, I'm like, that's because in our society, it is bad to be big, big is bad. Whereas, um, like I said, I lived in Ghana for a while, you know, I would go on runs with the rest of the volunteers and I was always the last one. I was always the big, I was the, definitely the biggest one of anybody there. And we had this like delightful security guard, Ghanaian security guard that right before I left, you know, he gave me a hug and was like, when you came here, you were fat and now you are fit like me. And it, there's no shame in that. There's, it was just an observation about my body. and. Um, in th that moment, like, you know, it, it stung a bit, let's be honest, because I'm from the United States, <laughs> but, um, but like, I just, he was just genuinely like proud of the fitness that I had gotten there. And there was no intent for shame because it was just a cultural difference. And I know that society is going to like, do that to my daughter. Like there's no protecting her from everybody, but as much as I can, you know, she'll do things where she like grabs my arms and arm and jiggles it. And she's like, your arm is so jiggly. And I'm like, yeah, it is. It's pretty cool. Right. Like it's nice and soft. Like you can lay on it. Like it's strong. So I can pick you up. And I'm trying so hard mm -hmm. to make sure that like big does not equal bad for her. Like fat mm -hmm. does not equal bad. Um, it's just different. And, you know, one of my sisters is black and I'm like, you know how Lindsay's black and, and our skin is white. Well, mommy is big and, and Lindsay is, is small, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like we're all just different. Um, yeah. and so I'm trying to make sure that she understands that so that like, as she grows up, there's no societal impact. And I think that has been kind of a big aha that I probably wouldn't have faced if I hadn't been going through this journey and been so like introspective <laughs> on, like weight and self-care and self-love yeah. and self-acceptance and all of that so that's been a big one and it's so hard to I've, I've been grappling with this uh for some time now but you know it, it it's hard to say that that I, I'm, I'm a part of, or I align with the body positivity movement, right? That like no weight is a bad weight, all this kind of stuff. Yet at the same time, I went through bariatric surgery to, to weigh a, a, a healthier weight. And what I've really just kind of come to realize is that I, 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 can, I can support or I can not judge, I can be a part of the body positivity movement. But if I'm not happy with my own body, and with my own weight, I'm still allowed to do something to live at that healthy weight, mm -hmm. you know? So it was just like, oh my God, I've never felt like my body belonged to me or that it was right for me until recently, even though, yeah, I got jiggle crap here and there's weird stuff going on down below. Right. I mean, it's just, it looks like a train wreck, right. With my, when my clothes are off, but it's my train wreck. And for the first time ever, it's like, oh, this feels like what I thought I should have always felt like. And, and th this is the right size and shape for me. And once I came to that epiphany, it was like, oh my God, that's what, that's what this is really all about. 
but you just don't get there if you're if you never get to a place where your body actually feels like your own. Yeah. And I, I would say that's been one of my biggest challenges in this process is like, I've always kind of aligned myself with the body positivity movement and health at every size. Um, and it, it's hard not to feel like an imposter or a hypocrite whenever you are aligning yourself with that, but you're also going to take a drastic measure to quote unquote mm -hmm. lose weight. I think the, the difference for me is like, I try really hard normally, I know it's slipped a few times because it's so commonplace, but I try not to call it weight loss surgery. It's really bariatric surgery um, because the point of the surgery for me isn't to lose weight. Like I could give very little trucks, look at me censoring <laughs> myself about like what my gravitational pull to the center of the earth is. That's all your weight is. It's like a measure of your gravitational pull to the center of the earth. Um, what I care about is how my body feels, how I feel in the skin that I'm in. And I think it is perfectly body positive to make changes that you want to make to your body, um, in that direction. So that's kind of yes. how I was able to make that like overcome that hurdle of like, Ooh, am I a hypocrite? <laughs> I'm yeah, like, no, right. I'm a hypocrite if I'm body positive and hating myself. That's well, and we all, and we all talk about it too. Cause I mean, I've thought the same exact thing. Cause you see body positive stuff and you're kind of, you, you think that you look at it, but you said something very interesting about that is it's about the healthy at any weight. So mm -hmm. I was one of the healthiest fat people you would know on paper. But it also took a lot of medication for me to get there. Like at my weight, I should have been full on diabetic, probably should have lost a foot. You know, there's lots of shit that, that should have gone on that wasn't happening for me. And my dad it would eventually. Well, and it would, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. I, I was headed there. And my, you know, it, I always say this like my dad wanted me to be way sicker than I really was. And it pissed him off because he was way smaller than me, but he was diabetic and he was having all these problems. And he's like, well, I know that you're this and this. And I'm like, but you don't there, Dr. Phil. You don't know because I'm not. Like, I'm not having the issues like you want me to be. But at the same time, I know I'm not healthy because I was in line for diabetes. I was in line for heart disease. And in my family runs very rampantly, you know, a lot of heart problems, a lot of heart issues and blood pressure and all of that. So, you know, I can't sit there and say that just because somebody else is big that they should have surgery too. If you're happy with the way you are and mobility is not an issue and you're not on a bunch of medications, but you happen to be bigger than the normal, you know, than the average person, I don't care. That's awesome for you. If you're happy with that, high five to you, keep it moving. I, you know, don't judge me. I won't judge you. I don't care. So to me, that's kind of how I get around being in the, the, the body, being an imposter in the body positivity movement, because I'm not, down in you for being big as long as you're healthy but yeah. you know running yourself into the ground like I did myself that's why I had to make the changes that I made to not be that way because I'm always going to be a large human because I'm 6'4 and even if I had if I had zero body fat on me I would still weigh 235 pounds I think is what they is the, what the doctor figured out as my lean muscle mass so I would never be a small or to the BMI charts what the normal range. I'm never going to be that. So I'll still always be big as it is. So that's kind of how I, I live in both worlds of being a bariatric patient as well as the body positivity supporter. Yeah. And I would say the body positivity stuff has so much more to do with a um, <laughs> reduction in fat phobia, right? Like it shouldn't be mm -hmm. that like 
you can be fat as long as you're healthy because you know we're just fine with a skinny chick posting a picture of like scarfing some pizza right so like mm-hmm. why is there some prejudice there it's that's not that's not actually fair um because she could be just as unhealthy as you know the yes. the obese person eating pizza and then the yeah. health at every size like i really look at it as like the medical industry needs to consider what people that are obese are saying with the same weight (laughs) pun not intended Mm -hmm. as um somebody who is not obese right so I know that like when I go into the doctor and I'm complaining about a challenge they're always going to go back to my weight like it's always going to be weight instead of investigating what the real problem is like they would with a skinnier patient Mm -hmm. um and I think in my mind that's what health at every size has more to do with is like um, you know, getting that medical care that you deserve at any size that you're yes. at. Um, yes. So that's kind of how I've been looking at it lately. Yep. I think that's, uh, it's an amazing way to, to go about it. We, we recently had a, a very insightful conversation with Michaela at, uh, losing to blooming. And it really kind of helped shift it. I think Jason and I is thinking around like, wait, you know, we all go into bariatric surgery thinking like, well, I'm going to weigh 180 pounds after surgery. That's my goal weight. But a lot of us get to this point where our bodies drop a ton of weight and then they are very happy at a number that was not our goal weight, right? I've been, I've been stuck at 204 for a very long time now. My goal weight is 180. And I just might not ever get there because I'm actually very healthy now. And my body is telling me like, Hey girl, you're doing good. Like you can do all these things and your numbers are great and your heart's functioning well, like all this stuff, right? My body's telling me you're good. You are living your life at a healthy weight. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that, that can be really hard to, to get over, right? When, when you have this number in your mind for so long, but again, it kind of goes back to just body positivity and body acceptance. If I am healthy, if I am fit, if I'm feeling well, if I'm feeling normal in my skin, that should be good enough. Why am I driving towards this, this number that clearly my body is telling me it's not gonna be happy at? And it has to do with all of those things that, that we've been told and indoctrinated and, and, you know, and shown for our entire lives. And that's not an easy thing to just switch off. It just, yeah. it just doesn't I happen. I appreciated what my surgeon said. Cause I was asking her like, what is going to be my goal weight? What do you expect mm-hmm. me to lose? And she was like, well, I'm not setting a goal weight for you because yeah. you know, your weight doesn't actually matter. It has more to do with like where you feel healthy. She's like, but given the graphs of what we've seen people at your height, your weight and, um, you know, starting point and what they've done with VSG, we can assume approximately a like 77 pound weight loss after Mm -hmm. VSG. So for me, I was like, well, that like only gets me to like, you know, 200 pounds or 190. And I was like, I'd like to get closer to 150. And she was like, that's fine. You can work towards whatever number you want. Your body is going to get you where it's going to get you. And she was like, but you'll probably find as most people do that they do not prefer to be at their goal weight. They prefer to be 10 or 20 pounds heavier than their goal weight. And I was like, why is that? And she was like, because life's not super fun when you're starving yourself. you hear everybody talking about how you know you see the the people that have like shredded abs and all that little like magazine cover mm-hmm. ready and then a couple months later they're like oh look how fat they got 
And they go, uh, no, I'm not fat. I just got tired of eating celery and, you know, an ice yeah, cube yeah. every day. Like, I'm not, <laughs> not going to kill myself to do that. Like, what's the fucking yeah. point? Like, I got the photo. I'm done cool now. The, <laughs> I look cool right? for the movie I did, and now I don't have to do that shit yeah. anymore. And I love my life again. Yeah, I don't blame that shit. I don't blame you at all. Yeah, well, and I also think there's something to be said for, like, being careful about what you allow yourself to normalize, right? So, like, yeah. in this instagram world that we're in it is really excited exciting to get into wonderland and it is really exciting to lose a hundred pounds you know mm -hmm. and take that scale photo you get a literal dopamine hit whenever you get a positive response from people from that stuff and so mm -hmm. i think like again it comes back to the why of like yeah am i posting this or am i trying to get to this weight because it's going to make me feel good from a health mm. perspective or am i trying to get to it because i want that pride moment so bad and it's okay if you want that pride moment we're, we're all human beings and that dopamine hit is good but like as long as you're acknowledging that so it's like am i am i eating only celery today for pride or for my health <laughs> <laughs> so I had my, my therapist asked me that, that exact same question. And she's like, well, what is it? And I said, well, I guess I don't know. And, and she just said, you know, there, there is no right answer here. So I'm not yeah. trying to, this isn't a gotcha moment, no but trick. you need, <laughs> right. No trick, but you need to know why you are striving so hard to get that. And, you know, she's, she shares her very personal stories with, with us about, you know, why she's at the weight that she's at. And, you know, through our conversation, I just came to realize Oh my God, if I weigh 180 pounds, I'm going to be just as obsessed with food now than I was before surgery. And that was not a great place for me mentally, right? The whole point of kind of getting to this place where I am now is that food is not such a huge part of my day. I don't need to think about it in the way that I thought about it before surgery. And for me to weigh 180 pounds, I would have to be obsessed about food again. And that just does not sound like, like a happy place for me to go. And it, whew, let me, let me tell you, I, I mean, you really come to realize after surgery, like, holy shit, you know, I could get back to the place where I am that obsessed with food again, you know, obviously in a different capacity, but it's the same, it's the same th thoughts. It's the same yeah. thinking. Yeah. It's the same problem. And I'm like, oh my God, this is just like, holy shit. I, <laughs> you know, you just don't know what you know until you're here, but at least now I feel like I have more brain matter. I've got more energy. I have more ability to think critically about what I'm experiencing. And at least I can approach it with, with, with a full heart and, and an open brain and you know eyes and ears. It, it, I'm not going into it blindly, right? Or I'm not going into it unarmed. At least I'm armed now with the tools to deal with it because it, shit still comes at you after surgery. It's not that this all goes away. It's just that now all of a sudden you have more ability to deal with it as it, as it rolls in. It, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Totally. So I would love to ask you, right? Like clearly your research process or your, your, the steps that you have taken to prepare for weight loss surgery are, I think, uh, on one end of the spectrum. I think you are definitely on the like beyond prepared spectrum. Uh, <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. That is, that's how I operate as well. Uh, but what are some things that you would recommend people who, who want to be prepared, uh, but maybe don't have the energy or the capacity to be as prepared as you, as you have been? What, what do you think are kind of the things that you would say, like, this is the biggest bang for your buck when it comes to preparing yourself for surgery? Um, that's tough. I would say, so 
this isn't exactly the question, but um, I would say the first step is contacting your insurance. I think that that's the biggest misstep that a lot of people make is they're like, oh, I'm waiting mm -hmm. to hear back from the clinic to see if I would have insurance coverage for this. They're not your go-to for that. Go directly to your insurance company and ask mm -hmm. for, you know, the description of your benefits and the requirements and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. I would say that's number one. And a lot of these insurance companies have a bariatric coordinator that works with you through your process. So it's a nurse practitioner that's assigned to you from the insurance company to make sure that you're checking all of the boxes. Um, now, the other thing I would say is like the social media uh, component of this is incredible from a research perspective, um, as long as you're using it to go to vetted resources that are out there. So um, the reason I bring up, I brought up the like normalizing component is there are instances on social media where people are breaking the rules, right? And, and doing things where that they're like, oh, I'm being naughty, like, but yada, yada, yada. Um, and there's danger in that getting normalized um, mm -hmm. because it can make it seem like it's okay to do that. Um, and then the envelope gets pushed and pushed and pushed until somebody gets hurt. So I would say, you know, listen to your doctor, I've asked um, a number of surgeons at this point, like what's the number one thing that differentiates those that are successful from those that gain the weight back. And the most common thing I've heard is um, rule followers. Like if you're the type of person that like takes what the surgeon says is Bible and follows it, then you'll be successful. If you're the type of person that wants to push the envelope and like test things out and see what you can do, you're probably not going to be successful. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was really insightful. And then the other piece was like the fitness component. A lot of them said like, if only we could shake our clients and make them start a workout routine at six weeks, like everybody would lose what they want to lose in that first mm -hmm. year. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. So I was like, oh, I hate working out. So I better make that a habit now. And mm -hmm. hundred days of movement. <laughs> uh, I know. Um, so yeah, I would say those are the biggest ones. And then um, this is totally self-serving, but I would say joining book club because we read the book that's in there, but whenever we go into the session, it's really the questions and the conversation is really morphed around the bariatric experience. And there are people yeah. that are pre-op, there are people that have just had surgery and there are people that are two to five years out. And so yeah. getting in a, in a room, in a digital room with, you know, up to 10 other people and being able to ask whatever questions and talk about whatever tips, like half the conversation has nothing to do with the book, um, is, yeah. is amazing because you get the chance to kind of dive into stuff and that's where you'll get the best resources from people is from firsthand. Well, and I can't, you know, I mean, I, I'm a teacher by, by profession, so I know the power of reading and discussion. And I think what, what makes book club so powerful is that you've had multiple modalities of learning, right? So you're taking information with, in with your eyes, you're processing it with your brain, you're, you're having these, these auditory conversations with people, and it just sparks these connections in your brain. And the other powerful thing about the bariatric book club is that you're bringing you're bringing two things together right the the, the expert with, with that's being presented in the book right that that expertise and then you have this personal experience from people who have either been through bari bariatric surgery or are pre-op so you've got this wonderful kind of like safe cocoon like environment where you're taking in you know legit 
you know, vetted information and you're bouncing it off of people who are in a stage similar to you or someplace that you want to go. So it, it's just this amazing combination of meaningful learning that we can take in and apply right away, either to, to our mental landscape, to our physical landscape, to our emotional landscape, right? It, it, and again, it's another place that we can access people's recipes and we can see what other people are doing. And when somebody says something, we go, ooh, that that uh, mm, for something about that really aligns to me oh you my can, sticky notes go crazy during book dude, <laughs> dude right it's just insane because you all of a sudden you're writing stuff down and I can't believe the connections that I've made with people just through the book club people reaching out or me reaching out to them going you know when you said this it really made me think that and then there you go right there's a connection there's a spark there's a a, a meaningful conversation that would not have happened outside of that. Um, yeah. that and it's, I started book club as just a means of accountability for myself. So I was like, okay, there's, mm -hmm. you know, some books and research that I know that I need to do before I have surgery. Yeah. I never finish a book on my own timeline, unless there's like a fire under my butt. Cause I'm about to go yes. talk to people about it. And I, yes. I started it with just an ask on my stories. I think where I was like, Hey, anybody interested in, in doing a book club with me mm -hmm. so that we can, you know, get through some of this content mm -hmm. and, the response was so overwhelming that now it's obviously turned into a bigger thing. Yeah. Um, but like, but the accountability component is still there. So people yeah. don't have to finish the book to join book club. That's like the biggest thing that I think the biggest misconception out there. Cause I have a lot of people that mm -hmm. don't show cause they're like, I couldn't finish and I was embarrassed. I'm like, people show who haven't read it at all. The questions yes. I develop for each book club are so <laughs> they're like a paragraph, like describing exactly <laughs> what happened in the book. And now let's talk about it. So it's like, mm -hmm. you don't have to finish the book, but for people who are like me, that like social accountability is like the best accountability. Like it does also provide the accountability buddy of like getting that content done. So, yep. And I know you and I talked about the, the power of, of like publicly saying what you're going to do uh, in terms of accountability. It's like with your hundred days of movement, that's freaking hard to do a hundred days of movement. It sounds so easy. It is not. It is a lot. I was like, has it only been 15 days? Yes. <laughs> like, holy crap. Right? I was like patting myself on the back. Like we're surely halfway there. <laughs> like, yeah, not, at no. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Not at all. No, right. But just, just, just to know, you know, important, it is important to know what is your favorite way to be held accountable. And then it's also important to know that you can utilize resources in this community to help you hold yourself accountable. Uh, and, and it's almost necessary and needed because we all run out of gas. We all get to the point where it's like, I don't want to do this anymore, but you know that you have to do it to become the person that you want to become, right? Either physically or emotionally, mentally, right? If you want to be this, this, this person, this identity, it's going to take some work and you're going to need people's help to get there. Yeah. And I would no other say way the accountability it. component is a great call out in James Clear's book, um, Atomic Habits. I know it's your mm -hmm. favorite, April. Mm -hmm. um, we read it for book club last month and it's my mm -hmm. only five-star review I've ever given. I always ask for people's uh, review at the beginning of book club. Um, and like, I would say that is a great place to start. It's not bariatric specific, but oh. if you want to learn how to create the habits you're going to need around the bariatric experience, like that's, that's the way to go for sure. Yep. 
um, you know, everything in it, even the, like the, the valley of latent potential, you know, when you're implementing a habit and it hasn't started making an impact yet, I'm like, holy cow, Mm -hmm. I'm in that valley right now. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And that part in that book, I think, doesn't he talk about, you know, like the, the, the process of ice freezing or unfreezing, right? Mm -hmm. Like you do, you know, water does all this work to get to that point where then you get to 32 degrees or less. And then all of a sudden it becomes something totally different, but you never think about the, all the things that water went through to get to that freezing point. And, and it works the opposite way, right? I mean, glaciers are frozen for millions of years. And then that one degree difference is what changes everything. But it took a millennia to, you know, to get to that point. And when I read that part in that book, it was like, oh my God, that, that helps me persevere when I run out of gas, when I don't want to do it anymore, right? When I'm in that valley and it just seems like I'm never going to get out of it. I don't actually know when that point is, when that 32 degrees is going to come for me. But if I stay the course, I know that it will because ice freezes. I've seen that, right? It's like, I know it's real. (laughs) I know it's real. I've seen glaciers. I know what ice is, you know, but it's just, it's those simple little like, ah, okay that gives you what you need to, to continue on and, and to persevere. So. Yeah. I would say the other resource that I think should be a requirement for anybody going through this process is starting weekly therapy session. So like therapy is life-changing, whether or not you have depression or anxiety, like there is mm-hmm. always stuff to unpack. I'm sorry, but if you are in the weight loss surgery or bariatric surgery process, you got some stuff to unpack. <laughs> go go to therapy first because you're yes. good. Like that's the only thing that I've heard. Well, two things that I've ever heard from weight loss surgery patients post-op is I wish I'd done it sooner. And I wish I had started therapy pre-op instead of just yes. post-op. Um, yep. to have a better understanding of the, the needs there. So those are the resources that I would say are the biggest. Well, and the, the, the problem with a lot of pre, like I know for my pre-op, I had to do that one, one little one hour psych session and it really is more of a checklist than anything else you go through and they're just like are you you know are you nuts are you going to shoot up you know (laughs) are you going to freak out on the doctor if you don't you know lose 20 pounds like they they just kind of go through a checklist like they don't really dive into you know they kind of ask your surface why and all that kind of stuff but for me yeah there was no deep dive into yeah. it. And, and to be clear, then, that's not therapy. <laughs> that's no. the when, they send you, when they send you into a room with a computer for three hours, but they only yeah. sit on a couch with you for one hour, like that's not, that, that's not, that's, therapy. That, that's no. not going to get you to unlock any hidden doors that are deep within the recesses of your mind to let you know where the problems lie. That's and that's another callback to insurance. A lot of people don't do it because there's a social perception and that therapy is very expensive and almost all decent medical insurances now cover mental health. And so if you haven't checked it out yet, I know I was talking to Katie VSG at the beginning of this and, you know, I was ta- telling her about therapy and she's like, I'm going to see if my insurance covers it. It covers yeah. it with no copay. Oh, like wow. 100% covered. I've never heard of that yep. before. And she's like, well, shoot, I should have been doing this for years. <laughs> yes. I know, I know like for mine, with my office, they cover at least the first six appointments at no charge. You can go and just do at least six initial appointments. But, mm-hmm. you know, given everything that's going on now, that could be something that's changed as well. But I haven't mm-hmm. looked into it at that point. But 
it's very possible. I do think everybody should at least check on it with their insurance company. Yeah. Especially if your insurance is covering your weight loss surgery, like mm -hmm. that's a nice enough insurance. They probably cover your mental health as well. <laughs> yep. And I always like to let people know, I mean, I I've been in therapy since I, I had something happen at 16. Uh, we were in family therapy. Then I was in individual therapy and I, for forever. I saw an addiction therapist for about five years before I made the commitment to have weight loss surgery. And then I switched to a therapist who specializes in bariatric surgery, which has been phenomenal and probably the, the biggest reason that I found success, but it's we have to be Goldilocks in this situation, right? The first person you go to might not be a good fit. And I just want to make sure that I verbalize this to the universe. You're allowed to try out different therapists to find the one that works best for you. Yeah, Don't just think that, <laughs> yeah, no, you're not going to hurt their feelings. And you need to be able to connect with this person because you have to trust them enough to be honest with them. Mm -hmm. And, and if you're not honest and if you're not open, then you're not, you're not getting the point of therapy, right? This is a person who is, who will remain neutral. This is a person who you need to be able to say, this is exactly what I'm feeling and not be fearful that, that they're going to do something, you know, with your information because they won't, but only, you know, you have to take the time to, to, to find that right connection or else it's, it's just not going to be as valuable as it could be. And you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to shop around. Yeah, that's why there's that's why there's millions of therapists out there <laughs> because yeah. they all do something a little different. Yeah. It is tough so, right now. It's tough to find folks because of the pandemic because a lot of people yeah. are seeking out mental health right yes. now. Um, yes. Psychology Today is the best place to go to find uh, vetted uh, psychologists and psychiatrists. Um, yeah. And just for anybody who doesn't know, a psychologist is more of talk therapy, a psychiatrist is medication and they often don't do talk therapy because they don't have time, they're too busy prescribing, um, which is unfortunate. I used to have a psychiatrist that did talk therapy and that was just like the perfect marriage of like, mm -hmm. you know, let's treat the chemical and the, the yeah. emotional components at the same time. Um, but the other resource is your insurance. If you go directly to your yeah. insurance, put in your zip code and that's the way to find somebody who's in network that's not gonna cost you a bunch of money and yep. message a few of them at once, schedule consultations with each and then pick the one that you like best. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, all wonderful pieces of advice for anybody just, yeah, in the beginning stages of this. Thank you. Uh, two things I did wanna ask you quickly about your initiatives. So when... Uh, when you and I were talking probably, I don't know, a month ago or, or maybe longer than that, and you, you were kicking around the idea of 100 days of movement. It's like, oh, that, that's awesome. I did want to ask you, why did you choose the word movement and not exercise? Why is it 100 days of movement and not 100 days of exercise? Because for me, I wanted it to be inclusive of yoga or walking or a HIIT workout or things like that. I think um, I like many of us in this weight loss surgery community or, um, or sorry, bariatric community, um, are very all or nothing and very intense with what we're trying to do. Um, and my, my instinct was to do a hundred days of yoga. That was what I was going to do in the beginning. Uh, but then I was like, what if I don't want to do yoga one day? What if I go on a four yeah. mile hike and like, it doesn't make sense for me to do yoga like yeah. having that accountability against that one type of movement no longer makes sense. And so I had to think about, again, just like I keep circling back to like, what is the reason I'm doing this? Is it to like, to create social content 
Or is it because I want to create a daily movement habit for myself where depending on the day, depending on where I can make time, I am, you know, flexible to like what works best in terms of fitting movement into my day. And so it was the latter. And so that's why I went with a hundred days of movement and the hundred days honestly just came from my expected surgery date. I was like, Oh, it's about a hundred days away. Like, okay, let's turn this thing that like really sucks for me right now, which was getting my surgery pushed into something positive. So now I'm like, Ooh, what if my surgery happens before my hundred days of movement are up? Like, what do I do then? You know? And so now it's not just, you know, it's not just like a negative waiting for that time to come. Like I have something happening in the meantime. Um, obviously I did it for accountability. I didn't expect anybody to like do a hundred days with me. I was more just like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. (laughs) Um, and you know, if, if once a week I have somebody join me on a live session, great. Yeah. The response has been insane. Yes. <laughs> like people are Nuts. into it. So, yes. well, um, because it's exciting. Well, and, and I know that when, when you and I were talking, you know, those couple of months ago, I, I very much am like you as well. I will go all or nothing on something. And it's like, I'm going to do, you know, yeah, hundred is a crossword. I'm going to do, you know, you do, you, you make these statements, but for me, as soon as I miss one day, then I've blown everything Then I just give everything up. Right. And it's like, well, I've just screwed this up. So it is what it is. And it's almost like a, it almost gives me an out, but when I make something so broad or so just like all encompassing, I can't talk myself out of that because movement is more than exercise. Movement is more than one thing, right? Movement is doing something above and beyond what I would normally do each day. And it's also a really nice way, you know, to help me stay motivated because it's like, well, if it's raining out, right. Or, you know, whatever the weather's doing, I can still move inside. I can still do things. Yes. Yes. And it really forces you to, to ask yourself, why am I so resistant to this? Well, and I, I think it was September. I did like 10 K a day. I was trying to do 10,000 steps every day for the month of September. And I missed one day. didn't work out. I missed another day. And I was like, that's okay. I'm going to add the steps to the next day, but I just made it like progressively harder and harder to catch up until I just like gave up altogether. Um, and I realized out of that process, I'm grateful that I tried it because I realized that like having that rigidity, like gave, gave me an out, like you said, or like, Mm -hmm. you know, created an opportunity for, I don't want to say failure, but for failure. Whereas with this hundred days of movement, I think it was like two or three days ago. I, the live workout that I had planned with somebody didn't work out. And so, um, it's like nine o'clock at night. Eric and I have both smoked a little pot. Um, Oregon, it's legal. Don't come at me. Um, And um, we're sitting on the couch and I was like, oh no, I didn't do my movement. And I was like, honey, you need to do some yoga with me right now. I was like, I'll move the coffee table. We'll put down a blanket. And he looked at me like I had just grown a third leg or something. Like, are you kidding me? I'm not. He sat there, I would say at least six or seven times and was like, Stephanie, I am not going to do yoga with you right now. And I was like, if you love me, I'll do yoga. (laughs) I need to do this. I really want you to do it with me. Like yada, yada, yada. I can't like every excuse I could come up with. Um, Mm -hmm. I moved the table. We did 15 minutes of relaxing nighttime yoga. And at the end he was like, we should do that every night. And I was like, you think? Uh So I think, you know, making it flexible, (laughs) pun definitely intended, since I just talked about yoga, um, made it possible that like when one thing didn't work out, the whole thing didn't implode. 
Yes. Which is so powerful. Right. And I think for a lot of us in this community, that has been our MO in the past and it just can't be our MO moving forward. Because if we allow that thinking to still exist, if we still tell ourselves those stories, we will find that we have regained all of our weight and then some after surgery, Mm -hmm. we we just, we, we can't live in that. we, We can't live that way anymore. And this is just a really great way to get in the habit of, or, you know, to, to get out of that mindset, to stop telling ourselves that stories because it isn't all or nothing. It's very little things, very, what we think are insignificant that actually add up to, to what, to how we want to live our lives. It's kind of like what you said earlier, Stephanie, it's like all of these little things added up to my life and I was missing out on it. I am missing out on it. And we just can't, we just can't keep doing that. Yeah. All right. So the big event that you were working on is the bariatric retreat. (gasps) Oh my God. Oh my gosh. Crazy out there. You guys, dude, (laughs) you're very excited. (laughs) When you made that that announcement, you tagged us in it. And I was like, Oh my God, I have like 2000 freaking notifications on my phone. Cause it's just all bariatric retreat stuff. I was like, Holy shit. You're onto something girl. It's It's crazy. Yeah. I'm a little nervous. I'm going to be honest, like opening the registration information. I have a lot of people that are very nervous about like getting online at the right time to register because they don't want to miss out on a spot. Um, you know, we will be doing more of these, but I think, you know, everyone is especially excited to get out of the house right now. We've been cooped up for a long time, especially those of us that have started this journey during the pandemic or been in the thick of it in the pandemic. It's like, we are so eager to meet these people that we've formed such incredible bonds with. Um, mm-hmm. And with the retreat, I think it's really important to me that it doesn't feel like a conference, that it feels truly like a retreat, an opportunity to like take care of yourself, to meet this community that we've all fallen in love with and mm-hmm. to kind of like recenter on the reason that we're doing this. Cause you know, I can imagine, I'm not there yet, but I can imagine that like, once you get into this process and you lose the weight, it's really easy to, forget about that focus and get mm-hmm. locked into the hustle and bustle of life. So I'm hoping that the mm-hmm. retreat can be that and not, doesn't have that like big conference feel of like, here's some products, here's some info. There you go. Yes. No, I don't think it will feel like that at all whatsoever. I've, I've, I've had the privilege of getting a little bit of insider info on what's coming our way, but no, it's going to be, it's going to be amazing. And the thing that Jason and I really have spent a lot of time talking about lately is the dangers of feeling normal again, because it's exactly as what you say, all of a sudden you're just like, oh, well, this is normal life. And then you find yourself slipping back into old habits, old routines, old ways of thinking. And you really do have to keep this at the forefront of your brain if you wanna find lasting success. And we've talked to people who were five, six, seven, ten 10 years out of surgery. And they say that the reason that they've been able to find success is because they have kept it at the front of their brain for all of these years. And it's like, okay, so that is a key to lasting success. And I think creating these spaces where we can come together, recalibrate, refocus, take everything else away and just have our kind of recovery at the forefront of you know, of an experience that's grounded in community and connection and wellness and wholeness is just gonna be a gift. Uh, yeah. And I think it's exhausting to think that you're going to have to always think about your, a surgery that you had for the rest of your life. But I think what's important is that what you're thinking about is like taking care of yourself. That's what yeah. it is. You know, you mm-hmm. don't have to 
you're not having to like constantly be thinking of like your macros. I mean, to a degree, to a little bit as a human being, but like you're not constantly going through that first year experience, but the reminder to like check back in and say like, am I taking care of myself? I think is what's really important. Well, it's helping helping a lot of people too, that are like April say, you know, 10 and, you know, eight, nine, 10 years out. They're just coming around and finding the community because this community wasn't available back when they had surgery. They really went through the dark ages of it, having to deal with it just on your own. It's like doctors kick you out into the wild and be like, all right, take care, man. Have a good one. Your bill's paid. Like, take it easy. But (laughs) having this community to rally around really kind of keeps it in the forefront for you. Like, Mm -hmm. as as we all stay active and do things with each other. I know April and I have talked about this in the past plenty of times we hold each other accountable a lot. Like I, I think about like April, I, I didn't even tell you this. I went to the store the other night to get some stuff. And as I walked past the cracker aisle, I cracked up laughing, thinking about your face just for the fact that I was in there doing it, you know, cause I, and I started to take, I told them I started to take an inappropriate breath. Like I, I was like backed up to the Cheez-Its and I was like flipping the Cheez-Its <laughs> off and I had like, my camera up, but then People came like both ends of the aisle and I was like, before they think I'm some crazy person, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna bail on my photo and I'm gonna keep stopping like normal people do. Yeah. <laughs> Not crazy. But but that was like that that popped in my head because I was like, oh, she'll get a kick out of this because a lot of that comes stems from the accountability yes. side of things because you know yeah. you've talked me off the cracker ledge numerous times just from <laughs> for being an idiot on that. So yes. Stop talking about that first. <laughs> Trigger, trigger words. Trigger. Jesus. Jesus. Well, it's, it's, you know, when I, I used to get really angry at my situation after surgery, thinking like, you know, this is bullshit. I had surgery to never think about food again. And now all I'm doing is thinking about food, but I would much rather have this weight of of food and and recovery versus my old weight of food and recovery because that was killing me and that was way more work than the work that I'm doing now right because now I have the the ability to think about my health beyond my weight right it's my mental health it's my emotional health it's my physical health it's it's all these other things but before it was always just food and weight so it's a different burden uh, but it is one that I would, gl- I, I will gladly carry for the rest of my life. Cause I don't want to go back to what that, that burden was and keeping this at the forefront of my mind is what's keeping me healthy and happy and productive and, you know, being able to, to, to live the life that I want to live. So it's, yeah, it's, it's just a very big mindset, very big mind shift. Yeah, yeah I agree. And it's crazy to me that this stuff hasn't existed in the past. I think we're facing kind of a weird bariatric bubble where, um, <laughs> Like, you know, there's been such a vacuum of information for so long that now people are rushing in to fill that. Um, And it's curious, I'm curious to see like what kind of comes out of it. Cause there's, Mm -hmm. you know, in any, any vacuum situation, there's going to be some garbage information and that'll ultimately fall away. It's just like, my friend says about the restaurant industry in Portland, like a crappy restaurant just can't survive. There are too many good ones. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see the like gold that comes out of, you know, everybody realizing mm-hmm. suddenly the, the ability to make an impact. I think that's yep. the, my biggest reason for, you know, I started bariatric book club for my own accountability, but the bariatric retreat is really um, like, I, I have this opportunity to do something in the community that I'm excited about, but that also mm-hmm. like does something 
great for a community yeah. of people. And so that's where it like lights my creative fire in a way that I didn't yes. know I needed. Yes. Nope. Uh, we are excited. We know the community is excited just based on the feedback that we've, that you've already received and that we can see you're getting just on the Instagram world. So it's, it really is going to be amazing. And it really does take these types of resources to find success. And I think it's just so amazing that there are people that have the energy and the capacity to make these things for our community, because this is, this is where the joy comes in. This is where, this is how community is built. And this is how we will all learn to live our lives at a weight that's healthy for, for ourselves. So just amazing, amazing. Yeah. And in so, a way that is like loving to ourselves too. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's just like the best, exactly. It's the, the, the best win-win I could ever possibly yes. imagine. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Stephanie, for, for joining us today. Uh, we always like to leave kind of the, the end of our podcast. It's just an opportunity for you to say anything that you felt has gone unsaid. So is there something that you want to make sure that everybody, you know, hears or sees? Is there a quote or something that you want to share with people? We just want to give you the floor to, to, to say whatever it is you want to say. Yeah, actually in Robert Holden's book, the one that I keep uh, quoting despite hating, um, <laughs> he has a quote from Galway Kinnell um, from the poem St. Francis and the Sow. And it says, uh, sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness. Um, and I think that that is an, it like made an impact on me because, you know, through our society, through our life, it's so easy to kind of lose touch with your own loveliness and lovability and um if there's any you know amazing silver lining that can come from the weight loss surgery process it's learning how to love yourself and take care of yourself in a better way so that's my that's my quote contribution that is amazing we'll have to make that into a graphic <laughs> <laughs> and in the oh, true I modern era <laughs> right Everybody loves a good graphic. Oh yeah. my goodness. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for taking the time out of your very busy life and of your, your recovery. We, we, we just appreciate your, your insight and your truthfulness and your humor. Uh, you are doing amazing things from the, for this community. And we are just, we are so thankful to, to know you. We, we very much appreciate all that you're doing. <laughs> I love you guys um, and keep up the good work. Dude, we're, we're trying. We're doing everything we can do. We <laughs> highly recommend that you guys follow Stephanie and her journey. You can find her on Instagram at one underscore hungry underscore mother. And if you're watching, you can also see it there on her screen. That's where you can go for all bari bariatric book club information and the retreat information. Uh, you definitely want to get on her mailing list uh, so that you are one of the first to, to know when these retreats and when all of these uh, uh, events are, are happening. And we are also hoping that Stephanie will join us in the future for our virtual bariatric meetups, which happen once a month. Uh, her insight is just, like I said, phenomenal. And, and we're just gonna continue to use her as an excellent resource for this community. So you're gonna be seeing a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, you, you need poop talk. You need mental yes. health talk. Yes. <laughs> you need kids running with knives talk. I'm your girl. <laughs> we need all of those things. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? Oh my gosh. Well. 
like I said, thank you to all of you who are listening and, and watching. We would not be able to do this without your support and your feedback. So we very, very much uh, appreciate that. Uh, please know that you can like, subscribe, share all of our content into the community because uh, Jason and I know that our conversations are valuable and the more that we can share our conversations, we, we hope that the more people that we can just help and inspire uh, along their own journey. So you can find our podcast on all your podcast players. You can share all of the, the episodes and, and everything that we do. It's free and it's available to everybody because that's the whole reason of doing this. It's not to, to do anything other than provide you with the support and the help that you need in meaningful and valuable ways. We want to make sure that what we are producing is valuable and consumable to you right away. Uh, so if you have any ideas or suggestions, please let us know. There's a billion ways to contact us. The easiest one is direct message on Instagram or send us an email through our website and you can find us at www.east2westwls.com super simple. All right, Jason, my friend, you want to take us out? Yeah, Stephanie, we really want to thank you again for joining us. Uh, your, your insight, not only that, but your Instagram page feed and your Instagram lives are hilarious and very entertaining and also very informative. So I, I echo April and saying everybody should follow and uh, keep up with you on your journey. We look forward to not only speaking with you more, but also following you on your journey once you finally get to have your surgery. So we're super mm -hmm. excited to be partnering with you on many things to come in the future and cannot wait for the retreat. So uh, just want everybody to remember that uh, you've got this, we've got you, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Fred. Bye, Stephanie. Bye, guys. <laughs>